Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And now, let us pray for, the, for our gospel. Calm us now, O God, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open our wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching for her her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Friends, as we begin to reflect on the texts we've been given this morning. I'm again going to wait a bit before reading for you the passage from the epistle this week from Paul's letter to the Romans. Each week during Lent, we've been listening to a piece of a letter to a community to see what we might overhear about our own life together as a community from the efforts of other communities to follow in the way of the risen Christ. So why are we here, as you heard Jay say earlier, is the question of this season at First Pres. It's our way of provoking a Lenten process of reorientation to the stars we steer by in our spiritual and moral life together. We certainly didn't anticipate the degree of disorientation that these weeks would deal out to us or how they'd stretch the meaning of the word here as we try to discern our way through such a changed landscape on our way from winter into spring. And we've been sharpening the edge of the question, why are we here, week by week through this Lent, with observations about our church that come from a leadership retreat back in the fall. Over the past weeks, we've said that we come here longing for wholeness, having learned just by living 
something about brokenness. And we've said that we come here looking for ways to move onward, having learned just by living something about being stuck. We've said that we come here hoping to find something we can trust, having learned just by living about the prevalence and power of doubt and fear. And today, we add that we come here searching for community and hospitality, having learned just by living something about alienation and being lost. All that searching that we're doing in coming here together makes the little pair of parables that Becca read for us from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke shine like two particularly bright stars in the Lenten firmament. The one about the shepherd who leaves a flock of 99 sheep to search for a single stray. That little parable also appears in the Gospel of Matthew. But the one about the woman who turns her house upside down looking for a lost coin, which is such a perfect match with the other one, is in Luke alone. It almost makes you wonder if Luke thought it might be helpful to us to see the situation in stereo through the lenses of both genders in order for the point to really hit home. The pair of stories does help us to see with more depth the way having a pair of eyes does. Because as accustomed as we all are to thinking of our spiritual life as a journey that we undertake in search of something, and as much as we tend to think of ourselves religiously as seekers, Actually, I think these parables are trying to tell us together that whatever it may be that we think we're looking for, actually, actually, we're the ones being sought. Actually, we are not lost, but found. Jesus told his parables for an audience of legalists and religious snobs who were quite scandalized by the kind of company that Jesus was keeping. From their point of view, the people who were flocking to Jesus were the kinds who shouldn't have felt they belonged at the table with any upstanding member of the community. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, Luke says. But these were, of course, exactly the kinds of people that Jesus was setting the table for. The kind of people who knew that they were lost on some level, the kind of people with ears to hear, who came to use them because they knew that Jesus was offering them a way to belong, that Jesus could heal what was broken in them, could help them get unstuck, could give them something trustworthy. They were people, we're meant to understand, without whom the community was and always is incomplete. Those are the people without whom the rest of us are not a whole human family. They might well think that they're lost, lost that is in the sense of disoriented, not quite sure where they are. But the parable wants us to understand that they're actually lost in the sense of the ones being sought. They are the ones for whom the good shepherd will leave the rest of the flock in order to go looking for them and bring them back. 
the ones whom the good woman, householder, will turn the house upside down in order to find. These parables are good news for the tax collectors and sinners who come near to hear. Good news for the likes of us if, like the sinners, our record is hardly perfect as far as loving God and neighbor is concerned. Or if, like the tax collectors, our hands are hardly clean as far as complicity in the systems that diminish other people is concerned. The good news is that someone has noticed that we're missing and that we can be sure has set a place for us and then set off to find us. And don't miss the fact that both parables end in the spilling out of celebration. Neither the shepherd nor the woman householder can contain their joy in finding what was lost. And the story of the losing and the seeking and the finding, that story is not complete until it includes the rejoicing. And that joy, of course, is the primary message that Jesus is trying to communicate to his audience of Pharisees and scribes. Luke says that they've been grumbling very publicly, those Pharisees and scribes, about their disapproval of the generosity of Jesus' message. So the way Jesus tells his story, the joy that follows the return of the lost ones has to spill out in a very public way, a form of resistance, that joy. The destination of this movement, Jesus says, is not the private satisfaction of scrupulous religious observance, even if that has its own rewards. No, the destination of this movement is a festival to welcome everyone home. If you can't rejoice in the finding of the lost, if you can't feel the elation that greets the return of the one who strayed, well then... You must be lost yourself, in which case know that someone is likely to set off looking for you to bring you back home. This week I was pondering the lost sheep and the lost coin, and I felt this vague stirring in my memory. So I went to try to track it down in the little notebook where I've written lines and paragraphs and scraps of other people's words whose light I've spotted on pages here and there over the years. When I traced my way back to the fragment that I had in mind, I found that I was remembering a few lines from a poet named Paulette Roski in a poem of hers called The Absence of Edges. Here are those lines from my little book. For the first time, the world felt complete, as if I were the found piece of the largest puzzle, consoled at last by the absence of edges. For the first time, the world felt complete, as if I were the found piece of the largest puzzle, consoled at last by the absence of edges. the long-awaited consolation of the absence of edges, and the sense of somehow belonging to the largest puzzle. 
even without a sense of exactly where or how. And most of all, most of all, the yearning to be found. It was startling to find all those words on an almost forgotten page, waiting to be read now of all times, and in a world where the whole picture of the largest puzzle seems so suddenly to have become clouded by fear and danger, a world where even the touching of the pieces suddenly seems threatening. How much more poignant is the longing to be found now in a time when we are told that our lives may depend on the attention we pay to the edges between us. How much more urgent is the hope that someone, someone is coming to search for us. Each of Jesus' two little stories promises that the protagonist notices what's missing and pines over it and sets off to look for it And the end of the search, we're told, is communal rejoicing as the found ones come home. But I think the story we're living now bids us to think more deeply into the quality of joy that's likely to be waiting for us beyond this valley of the shadow, this dark and weary land, whenever it is that we get to the home we've longed for. It's a joy when it comes that we'll have known not only physical danger, but moral danger. It's a joy that we'll have had to look unblinkingly at the horrifying cost of thinking that you can sort people into more deserving and less deserving. It's a joy that we'll have had to use its ears to listen for the difference that it makes to tell the truth and the damage that it does to lie. It's a joy that, in order to find its way home, will have to turn its back on a thousand opportunities to indulge the instinct of greed and shield its tender lungs from the infection of believing that care is a finite resource or that empathy is a sign of weakness. It's a joy that knows more than we thought we could ever know about how precious every breath is, every touch. It's a joy that's grounded in clear-eyed caring for each other, clear thinking about what it really means to live as neighbors. In his letter to a community of followers of Jesus in Rome who were trying to live with that kind of clarity and that kind of joy, to those Roman Christians, Paul wrote, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And insofar as it is possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. This, I think, Paul was saying to them and is saying to us. This is how it will be when you arrive at last at that place of rejoicing. This is what home looks like. This is what you have to look forward to. This is the whole picture with its memories of edges, but with everyone found at last. This home, when we get there, will undo our aloneness at last with the recognition that our togetherness is far more intricate, far more demanding, far more risky, and far more glorious than we ever had reason to realize before. The woman of the house is checking every corner, every crack, every shadow. The shepherd has set a place for us. And as far as we may have strayed, as dark and weary as the land may be where we have wandered, even so, the shepherd has gone to find us. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. And when he has hoisted us up onto his shoulders and bounced us back, when we get home, The joy of that place is not simple, but it is real, a clear-eyed joy. And in it, each of us belongs. In it, every one of us is at home. In it, each of us begins again. And we all begin again together, which is part of why we're here. Amen. This is Becca Torres Davenport. And Jay Sandiford. Together, we invite you to pray as we pray together. In the midst of a precarious yet precious moment. Praise God for the Lord who loves. Praise God for the Lord who loves in the midst of our distress. Praise God who loves us even when we might feel lost, even when we are unable to find even ourselves. God, you are the one who seeks. God, you are the one who finds us. We are, we admit, the lost, the confused, 
the overwhelmed, the befuddled, the anxious. Yet, God, you find us. And upon finding us, you embrace us in great arms of love and mercy. And you rejoice, you rejoice with the angels, you rejoice with song. In the midst of nonstop news stories about illness and scarcity, press conferences and cancellations, grant us quiet in our minds. In the midst of heightened anxiety about caregivers and caregiving about health and hygiene, Grant us calm in our hearts. In the midst of growing concern about our economy, about businesses and workers, restaurants and fitness centers, and about workers without work and without pay. In the midst of concerns about rent and mortgages and food and drink, give us, God, a day that is sustainable and give us a confident future. In the midst of opposing views, close doors or stay open, reach out or hunker down. Grant us peace deep in our spirits. In the midst of distance and separation in our families, in our faith communities, in our relationships with dear friends and colleagues. Grant us connection in our separation. In the midst of our lives, our gratitude and concerns, our hopes and longings. Grant us an abiding sense of your comfort. In the midst of this time, we pray for our local, our state, and our federal governments. We pray for all our elected officials to have the clarity of mind and the purity of heart to lead us to good health, to manage an ever-changing crisis and situation, and to lead us, O oh God, in the path of peace and justice and equity for all your children. Give them wisdom to locate and allocate the necessary resources for stopping this pandemic. In the midst of this time, for the doctors, we pray. For the nurses, we pray. For the technicians, for our janitors. For aides and caregivers, we pray for researchers and theorists, for epidemiologists and investigators. For those who are sick and those who are grieving, we pray. For all who are affected all around the world, we pray for safety, for health, for wholeness. May we, O oh God, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, and house those who are without homes. May we walk with those who feel like they are alone. May we care for young and old alike with tenderness and compassion. And may we do all that we can to heal the sick in spite of the epidemic, in spite of the fear. So help us, O oh God. That we might help each other. For the love of the Creator. In the name of the Healer. In the life of the Holy Spirit that is in us all and with us, we pray. May it be so in the way of Jesus Christ. Who taught us to pray together, saying, Our, Our Father, who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver, deliver us from, from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.